Welcome to the Ridge Community Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button and find us online at theridgecc.com. At our website, you can catch up with everything that's happening at The Ridge, watch previous messages, and learn more about who we are. If you want to watch services live, you can catch them every Sunday via our online community at live.theridgecc.com. We hope this message inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, hey, I want to say a huge welcome to all you who are joining us here in our Greenfield location and uh, Oak Creek and Online Church. Welcome, 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 as today we are starting a, a series that I'm really, really pumped about, a series that we are called Anxious for Nothing. And over the next four weeks, we are going to do a deep dive into anxiety. And uh, anxiety is something that is not only near and unfortunately dear to, to many of you, it is also uh, near and unfortunately dear to me as well. Uh, at one time, I actually would not have considered myself an anxious person, but uh, about two years ago, uh, I had to actually step away from, from what I do here and uh, because of extreme burnout, and so I had to step away, take an extended period of time off, and uh, some of you have heard that story before or parts of that story, and uh, it's, just, it's such a critical part in my journey and my story, and a big symptom of the burnout was I was experiencing increased anxiety uh, in my life. And I was experiencing it across the board, you know, at home, professionally, and all that stuff. Uh, but one of the ways it played out on a regular basis for me would be every time I would get up to, to speak here. And uh, for me, it was the same routine every week. It would be two days before, and I would think about getting up to speak in front of people, and uh, all these scenarios would be going in my head. It's like, what if, uh, what if I get up and speak and I forget what I'm going to say? Uh, what if I get up and speak and it doesn't connect with anybody? You know, what if I get up and speak and I accidentally say something offensive? You know, and uh, all these scenarios played out. Oddly enough, none of them were good. You know, they were just all really bad. And then the night before, uh, it, things got so bad because the scenarios just increased more and more and more and more. And uh, I could never sleep the night before, kind of be rolling around in bed and all that stuff. And so Donna, she just got to a point where she said, "Hey, listen." you're on your own, you know, the night before, and she would go and sleep some, somewhere else uh, the night before I was going to speak. And then right before I'd go and speak, uh, I would go back in my office there, and I would just start pacing back and forth in circles, you know. I'd like wear out the carpet every week because I'd pay so much. I'd bring a carpenter in there, you know, and, uh, and, and replace the carpet. And, and there would be times I'd be like, man, I got to speak in five minutes. Hey, God, can you make it six? Can you somehow take time back? You know, because I would just got so worked up and, and so full of anxiety. Now, I used to think it was just nerves, but the reality was it was way beyond nerves. It was anxiety. And it just didn't play out professionally. It, it played out in other places. It was like uh, I, had, I had twin boys. They just became teenagers. Anxiety. I have a daughter. Enough said, you know, dads, you know, anxiety right there. Uh, my wife, she was going through a career transition, you know, and so she, you know, was like, well, that's anxiety. And, uh, and then it was just the, you know, the confidence, am I, am I able to lead uh, this place in the future? Anxiety. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking like, man, you're a stinking mess, dude, you know? Yeah, what have I been telling you for the last 10 years, you know? Now you're finally starting to believe me. Now, here's the thing. The reality is, is I'm not the only one who wrestles with anxiety. Anxiety is a big deal. You see, anxiety is actually the number one mental health problem among women and number two among men. And study after study reveals that this country, that we are the most anxious country in the world by far. So what is anxiety? 
Well, it's, it's really complicated, and we're going to talk more about it over the next couple of weeks. But anxiety is actually a hybrid of this right here, of the word angst, which means unease. And then it's interesting, this word right here, I asked five different people how they would pronounce that, and they all pronounced it differently, all right? So I'm not even going to take a shot at it, all right? But it just means this, running low of breath. And so due to uncertainty and uneasiness, we get to a place where we're literally out of breath. I heard one person describe anxiety as this. It's a downpour of what ifs. It's like, well, what if I fail? What if it doesn't work out? What if we don't make it? What if I get sick? What if the kids get sick? What if we can't have kids? What if I, I never get married? What if I don't get married again? What if the economy tanks? You know, what if, what if, what if? You can maybe look at anxiety this way. Anxiety is not the sight of a grizzly bear, but it's the suspicion of one. I bet there's one out there. I bet you he's going to come in and he's going to gobble all of us up, you know? So what, if anything, can we do about it? Well, that's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. And because anxiety just impacts so many people's lives, I want to encourage you to invite a friend to come with you as, as we journey on this, this, this path to learn more about how to deal with anxiety in our life. Now, there are many causes of anxiety. We're going to talk about uh, this more in depth as we, as we go throughout the series. But there's a chemical cause there can be. It can be circumstantial, and it can be spiritual as well. Now, if you're here and you're dealing with the chemical side of things and you're really wrestling with it and it's starting, to, it's starting to come up again, listen, get help. I can't encourage you enough. Talk to a doctor. Talk to a psychiatrist. Don't just say, well, it'll get better someday. It'll get better one day. Listen, it may not. And we, you want to get help before something bad happens. Now, I'm going to focus mostly on the spiritual side. And just so you know, this is, this is like my commitment to you. I'm not going to stand up here for four weeks and go, you know, you just need to have faith. Just need to have faith and it'll all kind of go away. Listen, that's what I was told when I was going through, through my anxiety issues. And here's the thing. It didn't go away. In fact, it didn't even help me. It just made me feel more guilty about what I was feeling. And so while there is a faith side to this, and we're going to talk about that whole, whole aspect of it, it's probably not in the way that you realize. Now, the passage, and there's going to be a, a passage that drives our entire series, is actually the most highlighted passage in the entire Bible. Now, if you're a Bible person, you, you probably think, well, John 3.16 is the most popular passage in the Bible. Actually, this one is. Now, here's just kind of like a, a side rant, and I don't do many rants, but let me just kind of rant about this just because I feel like I need to for some reason. Uh, John 3.16, if you watch football and all that stuff, John 3.16, when they're kicking a field goal or extra point, uh, that's the one where you see someone holding up a sign like this, and it says John 3.16. Here's kind of my rant, you know? Uh, when I see someone do that, here's what I'm thinking. Well, all the church people are going, yeah, man, that's, that's awesome. You know, they have a John 3.16. But then all the people who don't go to church... They're not going like, oh, yeah, I think I'll just look in the Bible, John 3, 16. Of course, you know, I'm going to do that and all that stuff. You know, I, I, here's what they're thinking. They're going, oh, it must be a new app. You know, that's what part they're thinking. Anyways, but they do it anyways. But, but this, is, this is actually the most highlighted passage uh, in the entire Bible, and it's found in a very, very short book in the New Testament called the book of Philippians. And it's written by a guy named Paul. And what's interesting, as he writes this book, writes this letter, uh, it's actually been called the joy book. 
And what's interesting, it's called the joy book, but then in the middle of this book, he deals specifically with anxiety. And as we're going to see, as we look at these verses over the next couple of weeks, and we just get below the layers of what, of what he has to say, we're going to discover uh, that what he says is not only brilliant, because it's really brilliant as we unpack this whole thing, but it can be life-changing, just due to the fact that just how anxiety is impacting uh, many of our lives. And so here's what our guy Paul writes. He writes this. He writes, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. Literally, celebrate who God is no matter what's going on in your life. And he says, I'm going to say it again because you know I got to say it again because you're going to hear and you're going to laugh or you're going to go, yeah, I don't want to do that. And so he goes, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident, evident to all. The Lord is near, dot, dot, dot. Don't be anxious about anything. To which, I don't know about you, I read that and I go, is that even possible? You know, it's, it's important to realize that anxiety is not a sin. It's an emotion. And so what Paul writes is he writes, don't be anxious about feeling anxious. And he says, so don't be anxious about anything, but in, once again, no matter what is going on in your life, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your requests. In other words, no matter what it is, whatever is driving specifically your anxiety, I want you to present your request to God. And then this is interesting. And the peace of God, which is interesting because anxiety and peace are polar opposites of each other. And so Paul says, in the middle of the uncertainty and of our anxiety, that we can actually do some things to experience peace. And not just any peace, but a peace that actually comes from the very hand of God. And here's how you know. It transcends all understanding. In other words, hey, even though everything around me is not good, I'm good. And it doesn't make any sense. And then he says, it'll guard your hearts and your minds. The entry point, which is great. Those are the entry points of anxiety in our lives. So they'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, as we read this, it's important to keep in mind where Paul is writing this. He's not writing this in a beach bungalow in, in the Bermuda. He is actually writing this in a prison in Rome. And if you've heard me describe prisons in Rome before, they are just horrendous conditions. And uh, he's, he's actually chained 24-7 to a, a guard the whole time, which I don't know about you, that's weird. But you know, this is kind of what's, what's going on. And he's waiting trial before the Roman Emperor Nero. And Nero was known for killing Christians in the most inhumane ways. And so Paul knows this is his fate waiting for him. And so it's, it's in this context that Paul writes this letter to this, this, this church that's located in the, group of, in the city of Philippi. And he's doing this to encourage them. And he's probably about 60 at the time, half blind. He's bent over like this because he's been beaten so badly in his life. And he has to have someone else write the letter because, as I said, he's chained to a Roman guard. And in this, he writes, be anxious for nothing. Now, just please understand, Paul's not saying, uh, don't be anxious I mean, we, we can't keep from, from being anxious. I mean, if you see a grizzly bear, I don't know about you, I'm anxious, you know? And for some of us, you know, we have problems in our life, and you know what? They're going to cause us to be anxious. But what Paul is writing is he's saying this, don't live in a perpetual state of anxiety. 
I love what um, author Max Lucado writes. He writes this great book called Anxious for Nothing. It's a tremendous book, tremendous resource. Uh, it helped me a lot, uh, not only in this series, but uh, just in anxiety in general. He has this really, really powerful quote. He says this. He says, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable. In other words, uh, I can't commit to this or, or anyone else. They can't get up in front of you and say, hey, I'm going to help you never experience anxiety in your life. That's not possible. But here's what is possible. But the prison of anxiety is optional. What is possible is that we don't have to live with the constant barrage of what if, what if, what if. You know, some of you, you're experiencing anxiety. Some of you are experiencing great levels of anxiety because you just have a lot of stuff going on in your life. Even Jesus experienced anxiety. The night before he was to give, to, to give his life on the cross, uh, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying to his father because he knows what's coming, and he's like, okay, God, hey, if there's any way that you know, I can work around this and that you can work around this and there's another way, please do it. And as he's praying, he is sweating drops of blood, which is actually a medical condition that is caused by high stress, high anxiety. So to be anxious is to be human. But as we're going to discover through this series is we don't have to live in the prison of anxiousness. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about four things in relation to this. And they spell the word calm. Calm. Isn't that great? Isn't that clever? Calm. Yeah, no service has thought that that was really that cool either except me. Uh, but, and, 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 and the word came actually from, from Lucado's book, which is really helpful. And so each week we're going to look at one of the four and uh, as we just learn that we don't, as we discover, we don't have to live in the prison of anxiety. So today what we're going to do is we are going to look at the first one, which is C, and the C stands for celebrate. Celebrate, which we go celebrate. <laughs> I'm anxious. What do I have to celebrate about, you know? Well, let's go back to what, what Paul wrote. Paul wrote, rejoice, or, or in other words, celebrate. Celebrate in the Lord no matter what's going on. I'm going to say it again because the last thing you're going to want to do is do it. Celebrate. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, the New Testament part of the Bible, the original language is Greek. And so the word that, that Paul uses for the Lord, the Greek word, he could have picked uh, a variety of words, but he picks a very specific word. And here's the word that he picks. Kyrios, which means this. Master, owner, the one who is in control. So what he literally says is, the one who's in control is near. Now, before I talk about why celebrating that God is near is, is such a critical part in this whole journey, I first want to talk about what happens in our life when we don't do this. I mean, when I hit rock bottom in, in my journey, listen, I did all of these things right here. And so I speak to you as a professional mistaker when it comes to this whole thing. And I've dealt with enough people uh, throughout the years to realize that they do the very same things as well. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to look at a very relatable story that's found in the Old Testament part of the Bible. And it's relatable because I think most of us can relate to feeling this way. And uh, the main character in our story is actually someone who many people consider a, a spiritual giant, which for me, that just makes me feel even better as you, as you kind of read this whole thing. His name is Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet who lived during the time of, of King Ahab, who was just a wicked, evil dude. 
And uh, there was this time that Elijah went to Ahab, and he basically confronted him about a bunch of stuff uh, that he was doing. And back then, they didn't have First Amendment rights, you know? It's not like he could just go and say what he wanted, be protected. Just the opposite. You didn't confront a king. And so as a result, Elijah takes off, and he's on the run for three years from the king. And here's the thing. You would think things would be bad for him, but they're actually good. You see, God is faithful during this whole time. You can read his story, all these different things, where God actually did all these miraculous things in his life. Then he did miraculous things through his life. There was this time where he stood down 850 prophets, and he called down fire from heaven, and it actually happened, you know? So this guy was hashtag blessed, if you know what I'm talking about. You know, so you would think all this stuff going on in Elijah's life, you would have thought, and you would think that he's walking around with a bunch of swagger, you know, like this dude right here. He'd be looking like this right here. This is how he should have been walking around. Now I know what you're thinking. Let me state the obvious. We look a lot alike. I know. I tell my wife that all the time. So let's just kind of throw that out there. But you would have thought uh, that he should have been walking around just with a lot of swag because all the stuff that was going on in his life. Things are going great. Good things are happening. But then one thing pushes him over the ledge. And it's actually not a thing. It's a person. It's a woman. Her name is Jezebel. Now, if you don't know why most parents don't name their daughters Jezebel, all right, it's because she is not only the, the wife of King Ahab, but she is a wicked, evil, bad woman. In fact, she made King Ahab look like Mother Teresa. This is how bad she is. And so what she ends up doing is Jezebel, she sets her sights on Elijah, and when Elijah finds out, finds out anxiety hits his life, and his life just begins to spiral suddenly out of control. And so here's how it all plays out. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, because he couldn't handle it, had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. That's that 850 I was talking about. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid, and he ran or continued to run for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, now I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, he went to a bar? You know, no, it's actually a city, and we're going to talk about that city in a little bit. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. You ever just feel that way because all the stuff going on pressure overwhelm and you just ever feel that way i've had enough lord he said take my life hey kill me god take my life i am no better than my ancestors i want you to notice how irrational his anxiety is what's he afraid of he's afraid jezebel's going to kill him so what does he do he asks god to kill him that's how irrational anxiety can be. But Elijah's struggling. In fact, he's really struggling. He's got real problems. And maybe you're here and you're struggling. You have got real problems. Maybe you're even at a place where you're going, you know, God, I just, I don't know how much of this I can take. And you don't know what to do. Well, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to look at Elijah's story and uh, we're going to use his story to diagnose our own story. You see, what went wrong with him? What did he do wrong? Well, there are four things that Elijah did that are very common 
very common things that we do, and when we do these things, they actually only facilitate or increase the anxiety level in our life. And so four things. Uh, here's the first thing he did. It's he ran himself into the ground. He ran himself into the ground. And for many of us, this is what we do on a daily basis. We just, we run, 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 run. And little do we know, we run ourselves into the ground. Now, as I go back and I look at that, that period of my life, this is exactly what I did. In fact, I, I, I go back to the time where I think it all started. And it all started, and, some, and, and most of you here never heard the story because you actually came in after the story. Uh, when we began the, the process of pursuing a permanent location, of pursuing this location right here in Greenfield, and at the time, we were uh, meeting at Whitnall High School, and we were a portable, portable church, and so we said, hey, we, we want to get a permanent building, you know? And so what you do to get a permanent building is you first start a, what's called a generosity initiative where, where people sacrifice so you can make a down payment uh, on a building. And so 400 of us uh, went through that, that process. And then this building actually opened up. And we were like, let's go for it, man. Let's do it. I don't know if we can do it, but let's, let, let's try it. And this was a monumental uh, type of thing because we were understaffed, underfunded, and we were underdogs in every single way. And so the first thing you do uh, after you after you be able to make a down payment is you have to get approval by the city, which was a big deal because Milwaukee County at this time had never allowed a church to move into a big box uh, like this. And so this was a, a crazy process. We barely made it through that. And then it was to secure financing. And uh, still to this day, I don't have a clue how we got that, you know, but I, they must have ignored our numbers and, and the financing, but they gave it to us anyways, gave us financing. And then it was the build out. And uh, we were 90 days, uh, we were roughly um, uh, 70, 72 days from Easter, and we had to be open by Easter. It's just kind of a critical thing. And usually a build-out this size takes about 90 to 100 days. Uh, but they were like, okay, uh, let's go. And so things are humming. They're humming. They're humming. You know, over time, in there, boom, 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 boom. Walls are going up and all that stuff. Well, nine days out, nine days before Easter, the company that did uh, all of our equipment, uh, tech, tech, tech stuff, furniture, design work, they go bankrupt. And uh, they're the second largest in the country, so it's you know, a real surprise. You know, so here we are nine days out before Easter. We have no furniture, no equipment, and no backup plan. Now, the last thing I wanted someone to say is, don't be anxious for nothing, you know? I was... <laughs> I was anxious about everything, and not God is near, God is nowhere. You know, that's exactly what I'm thinking. And so I just was like, well, I, don't, I don't know what we're going to do because we're going to shut the doors in nine days. So I, I was like, well, okay. So I talked to a couple of people. I'm like, hey, do you mind like helping because we have nothing going on here? And uh, after, after asking a couple of people, this set off a chain of events that to this day, just, I, it just blows me away. All of a sudden, for the next five or six days, uh, word got out, and people started taking off work. And uh, we started to run uh, 100, 150 people at a time through here over the next five or six days. And uh, we had people stay until 2 a.m. in the morning. And uh, they, were, they were going and buying equipment and uh, installing equipment. We had people, uh, most of the electrical, electrical work here was done by people who had never done electrical work, <laughs> which I wouldn't recommend, by the way. It's not a good idea. Uh, so if something blows on you, that's actually, you know why. And... Uh, and so they, but just everybody, it was just all hands on deck. It was the most amazing thing. And the building wasn't finished, honest to God, till 10 minutes before 
our first service on that Easter morning. In fact, when I got up to speak, we had never tried any of the equipment. There was no run through and we just kind of let it rip from there. And so all of a sudden, all of a sudden we just explode with growth. And then, you know, not only do we get in the building, but for the next five years, it's like, we're sprint, 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 sprint. Just ran myself into the ground. And when you look at Elijah's story, this is exactly what happens. He goes through a busy season of ministry, and then he says he runs to Beersheba, which is 100 miles away. So he runs an ultra marathon on top of the busy season, so he's completely depleted. And as I look back, that was me, just completely depleted, running on fumes emotionally and spiritually and sometimes physically. And the reality is many of you, you're depleted right now. And you're just depleted, but it's just normal for you. And so you're just coping with it, but you're, you're depleted. You're running yourself into the ground. As a result, your anxiety level is going up because of it. Here's the second reason. Second thing he did wrong is he left his support network. You know, it says that he left his servant, and then he went into the wilderness by himself. And this is what I did. I started to remove myself from the very people who had always been there to help me uh, and support me when time got, times got tough. And you know, this is what most of us do. And I think the reason most of us do this is because we feel ashamed for some reason. We feel ashamed of the things that we're thinking, the things that we're feeling, maybe even the things that we're doing. Uh, I know for me, I was like, well, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to stand up in front of people and present, you know, a certain thing of strong faith and all that stuff. And here I was feeling this way and thinking these things. I mean, I just felt ashamed. Here's the thing. And this is a universal thing. This isn't a religious thing. This is a thing thing. That when shame enters our life, here's what shame does every time. Shame always disconnects us. You know, when, when you start pulling away or when we start pulling away from people, that, that is a red flag that shame is, is invading or rising up in our life. In fact, one of the signs of health is you actually begin to connect to or you drive towards connecting with people. You know, this is why if, if you're dealing with anxiety right now, one of the most important things that you can do, and it's going to be something that you least want to do, it is to connect or reconnect with a, a, with a small group of people that you can be completely honest with them about what is going on with you. That's why we want everybody in a small group here. It's because we want some faith-building friends in our life because the only way shame is defeated in our life, it's when it's brought to the surface through connecting. Here's the third thing he did wrong. See, focused on the negative. Now, we're, on week three, we're going to talk a lot about this, but if you, if you just read Elijah's story, it's like he'll just go through, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. It's like everything is bad. And then here's the final thing that he did wrong. It's that he forgot God, which is amazing to me because, once again, God did all these amazing things in his life and through his life. I mean, he got to see God raise a dead person. I mean, he's like, how do you forget that, you know? And you know what? God's doing some great things in your life right now, and you may not even realize it. He has been faithful along the way, and I know it's hard because we focus on all the negative stuff, but he's been faithful. But like Elijah, we often forget that. I love what uh, Craig Rochelle says. He says this. He says, hey, Elijah was facing his problems while forgetting his God. Do you know one of the ironic things about Elijah's story? It has to do with his name. It actually has to do with the meaning of his name. His name actually has to do with God. Here's what Elijah's name means. It means God is my breath. 
In other words, what Paul said, the Lord is near, that's what his name means. And so every time someone said his name, they were saying, hey, God is near. The Lord is in your breath every time, yet he still forgot God. So what did God do to get his attention and bring him back? The same thing he'll do to you and he'll do to me. Here's what he did. He said, the Lord said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Earth, wind, fire. Oh, come on, older crowd, come on. (laughs) Good Lord, leaving me hanging like that, man. Some of you are under 40, you're like, Earth, I don't understand. I don't understand. Ask someone older. Ask someone older. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. What does Elijah's name mean? The Lord is in my breath. So the question is, when we're feeling anxious, when we're feeling overwhelmed, uh, when we just feel all this burden, whether irrational or rational, why does God whisper? Why doesn't God speak in just loud ways? Why is that? Why is that? He whispers because he's close. And he whispers to draw us close. You know, when I whisper like that, if you cared to know what I was saying, what do you do automatically? We lean in. We lean in. You know, who's yells, who yells at us? Our spiritual enemy. He yells at us. And you know what he yells at us? He, yeah, he condemns us. He accuses us. He'll say, yeah, you're going to fail. And you know what? You don't want to tell anybody what you're thinking because you'll get rejected right away. You're thinking that? Are you kidding me? How could you think that? Oh, and you'll never, and you're always, and you're not good enough. Our spiritual enemy just yells what ifs into our lives. But God, he's in the background. He just whispers. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You're good enough because I say you're good enough. Hey, 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 hey. I know you don't see it. I know you don't feel it. I'm in this. I'm in this. A couple thousand years ago, uh, one of the psalmists, he, uh, he wrote this. He said, God is close, close to the brokenhearted, which means the more brokenhearted you feel, the closer God is to you, and he's closer, he whispers. I want to go back to what what Paul wrote, because in it, we see why we need to start with celebrate. And let's go back. Paul wrote this, hey, rejoice, which means celebrate in the Lord, no matter what's going on. I'm going to say it again, celebrate. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The one who is in control is near. Now, Paul, he does something here with that ending that he does something there because he wants us to, he wants to remind us of something that we so often forget. And that is that God is sovereign. Now, that's not a word that we throw around a lot. What does God is sovereign means? It means this. A big part of God's character is he is perfectly involved and in control 
of all things. That, that when we just feel like it's too much and where is God and everything is spinning out of control, God is in complete control. I want you to think about this. When we're anxious, what do we tend to focus on? We tend to focus on all the what ifs. Well, what if that doesn't happen? What if this happens? And when we focus on the what ifs, what happens? We feel anxious. And then when we feel anxious, what's our reaction? Well, we have to deal with or cope with the anxiety in some way. And how do we do that? For most of us, we try to control things more, which I don't know about you, but every time I seem to try to control something, it always gets worse because most of the things I try to control are out of my control anyways. And so we try to control things that we can't control. What ends up happening? We feel even more anxious. We feel even more anxious. And we just get in this cycle and it goes over and over. And as a result, we're more afraid and we're more anxious. And so Paul says, hey, instead of focusing on the what ifs, here's what I want you to do. I want you to focus on the what is. Well, what is Paul? God is near and God is in complete and total control. That even when we don't feel like he is, he is. That's why we start with celebrating who God is. Well, another interesting thing about Elijah's story, it's another ironic thing. And if you never heard his story before, I mean, it's just, it's just kind of funny and ironic at, at, at the same time. What's he afraid of? He's afraid that he's going to die. So what does he pray? That God would kill him. And if you don't know the rest of his story, here's what happens to Elijah. He never dies. In fact, he's one of the few people in, in the Bible that, that, that doesn't die. There's a time where he's walking uh, with his apprentice, Elisha, and a chariot comes down, takes him away, and, and he never, ever dies. In other words, the thing he feared never happened. And listen, if you're afraid that someday you're going to die, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I can't take that one away from you. I would bet that that's 100% across the board for all of us, you know, that that's going to happen. But for Elijah, it never happened. The thing he feared never happened. And psychologists who study this sort of thing will tell us that the, most of the things that drive the anxiety that we're afraid of never happen. And if they do, it's not as bad as we think it's going to be. So most of our anxiety falls in those two categories. That doesn't mean that, that we don't have to wrestle through that, that that doesn't affect our lives, that we need to work through that. And even if it does happen, even if bad things do happen in our life, and you get to a point where you say, oh God, I don't know if I can take this anymore. What we're going to discover is that God will carry us along through it if we allow him because he's good. And he really is close. I look back at the whole part of moving into this building. And uh, I prayed because, you know, that's what pastor's supposed to do, you know. Prayed. But then I just tried to control everything. And as a result, it just caused me to spiral and it got worse. And the whole time, whole time, God was faithful and I couldn't even see it because I focused on the what ifs. And as a result, I missed the what is. And it all could have been prevented. Do you know what I do now before I, I come out and speak? Uh, instead of, you know, doing laps in my office, you know, and, and praying for time to stop, which hasn't happened yet. I will come out here about song two and uh, stand in the crowd, except for today, because there's no chairs. <laughs> and uh, as the words are up on the screen, I just I use those words as a prayer. And I'm reminded, oh yeah, oh yeah, God, you're close, you're close. I'm nervous, but there's a peace. 
So as we kick off this journey together, I want to challenge you with some questions. And uh, first question is, what are you going to focus on? Because here's the reality. You're going to focus on something. You know, you cannot not focus. You're going to focus on something. So are you going to focus on the what if? And you know where that what if, what if, what if, you know where that's going to go. Or would you break the cycle? And would you focus on what is? That God is near. He's whispering into your life. And he is in total control. It's why 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul, chained to a Roman guard, waiting execution, was able to write this letter to a group of Christians back then. And not only then, it's a letter that has echoed throughout the centuries. And he writes it to you, and he writes it to me, and he says, hey, celebrate who God is no matter what. I'm going to say it again because it's critical. It's critical. Let your gentleness be evident to all because that's going to be a byproduct of this. The one who is in control is in complete control. He is right in there with you. So don't be anxious about feeling anxious, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present whatever is causing your anxiety to God and the peace of God. Things aren't going well, but I'm well. We'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, the celebrate peace it's not, we don't do it because we feel it, because we're never going to feel it. It's a choice. And it's a choice we should make every time, because in the midst of all the what-ifs, we can experience what is. Now, next week, as we move into week two, we're going to talk about the critical piece of this whole thing and how we get to experience God's peace. But before we do that, I thought uh, we'd just kind of begin the journey together by, by doing something that we don't do that often. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes. And even if you're not a God person or a church person, just I want you to do this with me. And uh, online, I want you to do it with me as well. And as you just kind of close your eyes for a minute, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. What is causing anxiety in your life right now? And what are just those what-if scenarios that you are going through, they're going through, they're going through, you just keep cycling them through? Would you just, right now, just start to break the cycle and just throw up prayers like this? Hey, God, I, I can't see that you're close. Would you help me to see? I can't hear. Would you help me to hear? God, would you help me to just have a sense that you're in the middle of this with me. And Father, as we begin our journey, um, I think across the board, we all wrestle with anxiety. And I think, God, uh, we've just gotten so used to it, but it's just draining the life out of us. And so, Father, uh, just this week, would you help us to break some cycles? And uh, to begin to not, not focus on the what-ifs, because they're going to hit us. Would you just help us to have eyes and ears to hear and see that you're in this somewhere. And to have the confidence to know you are in complete control no matter what we are experiencing uh, in our lives. Thank you, God, for just, uh, just the power in the passage that we're going to read. And uh, that we get to do this together. God, I pray that there's we'd have some decisions that, that are made that they don't get to a place like where I was, God. That, that that never happens. And if it does, and if it is, 
there would be some amazing recovery that happens because of what we do together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rich Community Churches podcast. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to host you at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and more about our kids and students' environments, visit us at theridgecc.com. That's theridgecc.com.